And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And friends, I got to tell you about Full Scale. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. We all know that. But Full Scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. All right, friends, today we are we're going to be talking about hiring which I know can be the bane of every startup founder's existence. Uh, it is so hard to get the right people in the right place. And we have with us today, Deborah Gladney. And Deborah is co-founder and CEO of WorkTorch. Uh, we're gonna be talking about a lot of cool stuff and I'm really, really excited. You know, I think y'all know that we do some pre-show prep before we hit record. And I have to tell you, Deborah has been wonderful and charming. And I'm looking forward to continuing that conversation now that we have hit the record button. Deborah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. I definitely think that's the first time I've been described as wonderful and, and charming. Well, I don't, know. I, don't, and I don't know who you've been talking to. You've been talking to the wrong people. I receive but, it. Yeah. But we're, we're so glad to have you today. And I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in. I would love to hear about your journey. Tell us about it. Oh, well, thanks again so much for having me today. Um, my journey, there are so many different elements to my journey. Um, but I think first and foremost, um, I'm a child of <coughs> African immigrants. And that's a big part of my journey and who I am because <clears throat> my parents, they really kind of instilled in us the scrappiness that is necessary to be an entrepreneur because, I mean, they came to this country with nothing, um, no generational infrastructure built in this country, really no money, nothing. They came on a scholarship um, for school, so they worked really, really hard to get here. Um, and they really had struggled to find jobs. They picked strawberries. They worked all kinds of odd jobs. Um, and they already had two children at the time. Um, and then they had the rest of us here and never had any, any excuses. They just fought and worked really, really hard. And um, like I said, that's really kind of how I learned to be tenacious and to not have excuses. Um, so that's a big part of my journey. I'm the fourth of five children, um, co-founded the business with my baby sister. So we've always been super close. Um, that's a part of my journey. Um, I am a wife and a mother of three boys. So that's a big part of who I oh, am. Oh, you're a boy mom. That's fine. I am a boy mom <laughs> and I am 
worn out, <laughs> but I wouldn't change it um, any other way. I have two baseball practices to get to this this evening, and I oh, wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, <laughs> it's so much fun, um, but that's always why I'm losing my voice, as you guys can hear. But it's it's fun. So are, they, are you one of the loud moms at the at the baseball games? Oh, totally. I am so obnoxious. You do not want to sit next to me at any sporting event. And I don't apologize for who I am and how I am. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but but I have a, a reputation around town for, for being loud. And I'm just like, hey, you know, you don't like it. You probably want to stand a little bit further away. Exactly. <laughs> There's options. There's options. And I and I love it. So, but yeah, I mean, that's really a big part. That, that's all a part of my story and who I am. And yeah. finding this, this business with my sister is just um, such a joy to me. So yeah, yeah that's me. Well, and I, I love how, how family has influenced how you greet the world. You know, you're talking yeah. about your parents who maybe they weren't entrepreneurs in the traditional mm-hmm. sense that we automatically think of, like they didn't mm-hmm. have a brick and mortar business or they didn't have a high growth startup, but mm-hmm. what they had and what I was hearing is that they had a, an entrepreneurial spirit, Yeah, right? You know, definitely looking challenges in the face and trying to find ways to move around them or over them rather, yes. rather than just accepting the status quo. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's really inspiring. Did your parents have any words of wisdom for you when you started the business with your sister? I feel like having two of your kids involved in an endeavor that like they had to have had some advice. You know, it's, it's interesting because my, my parents and, and specifically my dad had always encouraged me to consider entrepreneurship and I wanted nothing to do with it for most of my life. I was like, no. You know, I had that that stereotypical outlook of entrepreneurship of like, oh, I just need a steady job and a steady paycheck. Um, but we yeah. all know that nothing is steady. You never That's know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I had that mindset for most of my life. But he was always planting that seed. And part of it could be because of like the American dream that he wanted to see his kids live out. You know, he never really had the opportunity to start his business, didn't really have the capital to do it. And by the time he did, you know, that, that season had passed. And so, um, I think that he was just always, he always saw that for me. Um, and so when we finally decided to go into entrepreneurship, it was almost like, again, he was, it's almost like he was like, finally, um, (laughs) so he was just really, really excited and, you know, didn't really have too much advice, but, which I kind of didn't need because at the time I think I really just needed encouragement because it was scary. I had three kids when we started the business and everything. And I felt like I had every reason not to do it. And so really the thing that I needed the most at the time was encouragement. And that's what they gave me. Well, so so really quick, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, to back me up on this and we're going to give a little bit of encouragement to the entrepreneurs to be out there. Friends, There is never going to be a right time to start your business. There's never mm-hmm. going to be a right time to have kids. There's never going to be a right time to buy a hat. Like none of those big life-changing things are going, you're, you're not going to find the most opportune time. But the fact is, if you can find the faith and take that leap, you can, you can achieve so many incredible things. So, so that is the encouragement that I have for our entrepreneurs playing at home. How about you, Deborah? You got anything Love for it. them? Love it. Yes. Um, and you know, I think the encouragement would be, 
honestly, if I can do it, you totally can. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when we started the business, I was eight months pregnant with our third son. um, And, you know, terrified, walked away from a six figure salary, um, didn't have any capital to start besides, you know, just the work that I had put in. Um, you know, no tech background. Yeah. All of that stuff. (laughs) Yes. All of it, you know, and I didn't have a tech background. I didn't have a business background. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything. Um, and so I really do truly believe my goodness, if I can be doing what I'm doing today, I, anybody can, it's all about just how hard are you willing to work? That's right. Well, and I, and I find it really interesting. You know, I, I'm sure that to your parents and your family, like entrepreneurship can be a really fantastic equalizer. Yeah. You know, there, there is opportunity available, but it's one of the quickest ways to, to build generational wealth. It's one of the mm-hmm. quickest ways to, to elevate uh, within the hierarchy of job and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that good stuff. And so I'm sure that to your parents um, and, and maybe most specifically to your dad, like they looked at you and they were like, hey, you know, we have our, our first generation daughter and she's mm-hmm. doing the thing. She's mm-hmm. out there and she's doing it. And she's creating this, not just creating the product, but you're creating a system and a culture uh, that that can build on your experience and can yeah. greatly add to your life. You know, I mean, it must have been very cool for them to watch, I imagine. <laughs> I think so. I hope so. <laughs> well, so, so tell me this. Why, why hiring? So um, this is the, our company is an idea that my sister has had for quite some time, my sister and co-founder. Um, <laughs> so she uh, spent some time living in Los Angeles and worked in the inner city schools. And for us, it just, we just noticed the massive disparities between kids who were college bound and kids who weren't. So the kids who were going to college had a ton of resources, um, you know, college prep, you know, career prep, all these things. But the kids who were going straight into the workforce, um, they really didn't have many resources. It was kind of like, just, you know, kind of go online and figure it out yourself. Yeah. Um, when, you know, a lot of people, they, they kind of do need some help. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of needed some help navigating what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had a college counselor and all of those things. Um, and so that's really kind of where the genesis of the idea came about to want to help people going into, um, hourly work, hourly positions, and wanting to help them find the right job, um, and not just a job, but more of like a career. Okay, you know, if you're going into this position, how can this get you to your your end goal? Um, so that's really where it, when when we thought of it. Well, so, so we're going to talk about the quick hire platform here in just a minute. But one of the things I, I think you're you're saying some really profound things, and and I think one of the the issues at play here is the fact that college isn't for everybody, you know, whether mm-hmm. you are not a natural student right. or you can't afford to go or the fact is, I think that I think and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I feel as though there's kind of this dawning consciousness, this realization that not everybody has to go to college. Right, right. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like we're kind of in a renaissance of opportunity. Like once you leave K-12 education, what's next? For the longest time, I feel like the only really acceptable avenue 
was going to a college or a university. And now we're seeing that, I mean, not only is that an impossibility for some people, but it's also, it's not seen as a requirement anymore. Are you finding that to be the case? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, when I went to college, unfortunately, there were quite a few friends that I had that were in college and didn't really want to be there, but they were there because their parents told them that the only thing that they could do um, right. if they wanted to have, you know, a life. And, you know, most of them have just a whole bunch of college debt and either a job that has nothing to do with their degree or, you know, are still kind of floundering around. Um, but now we're starting to see quite a shift. Um, and I think we've been starting to see a shift for a little while, but I've got to tell you that COVID, um, although it, um, had a negative impact in a lot of ways. The one positive thing that I do think that came out of COVID is that it kind of redefined what essential work looked like. And also just kind of, um, it, it, you know, people had a new respect for certain jobs that they didn't have respect for before. I gotta tell you like my, so I, I, I've worked in the service industry for yeah. many, many years at the beginning of my career. And so I always had a healthy respect, but surviving a pandemic as a service worker and truck drivers, that was the yes. other one where it was one of those things where I didn't really have much feeling about truck drivers one way or another, except right. for, Hey, get away from my car on the highway. You're making me right. Yeah. But other than that, but now like post pandemic, I'm like, you, you're the real MVPs. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And that really, really, like I said, I, there's many things that really made COVID hard, but that was probably the, one of the greatest benefits for the people that we serve on our platform. Um, yeah. You know, you know, when you don't have toilet paper, you know, and the people who are manufacturing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big deal. When you have a stay-at-home order and you can't leave your house and you have to have somebody deliver your food to you, you know, so it's all of these things that we, and these, in these jobs and these careers that we kind of took for granted. And even the employers took for granted how critical those employees were as well. And so now you're starting to see, you know, obviously increased wages, but better, better packages and benefits, things that were never offered to the segment of the workforce before. So it's, it's definitely been a positive shift. Yeah. I mean, if if you have to point to something positive that came out of the pandemic, and I mean, honestly, like, I, I think it would be, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that the pandemic was really, really, really hard on some yep. segments of society. But yep. there were a few good things that came out of it. I think people value work-life balance more, valuing mm-hmm. those, those people-facing, service-based roles, like, there are some good things that came out of it. Yes. So I love the ethos that you just shared with us. The fact that, you know, you're trying to support a previously very unsupported segment of society, like folks who just the traditional college route might not work for them for whatever reason. And, and you're trying to provide a platform and you're trying to provide assistance, but talk to us about how quick hire does that. Talk, talk yeah. to us about the, the tactics. Absolutely. So, um, and just so the audience knows, we, um, we launched the company in 2020 as Quick Hire. And so you might see that, you know, we've recently rebranded to WorkTorch, but Quick Hire is definitely, you know, how we were born. And yeah. that, and the reason why we started off that way is because we wanted to first get good at figuring out how we put people 
into the right job as efficiently and effectively as possible. Mm-hmm. And so the way that we that we did that and the way that we focused on doing that was um, we put job seekers through an onboarding process where we got to know who they are, what they do, what they love, all of these things so that we can best match them um, with the right job, with the right career path, and with the right people on our platform who can help them get to their end goal. Um, yeah. And so that's really how we focused on on doing that. Then um, last year we said, hey, okay, we've gotten really good at the, you know, a quick quickly hiring part, but now we want to focus on how do we, you know, what happens to people after that? You know, um, the attrition problem in the service industry is so, oh, it's, it's so problematic. It's horrible. It, it, horrible. it transcends industry. Like if you yes. work in the, in the service sector, the fact is you're probably going to experience a ton of turnover. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. It could be restaurants, it could be anything. <laughs> yes. All of, all of those things. And so, you know, we were like, okay, we were finding that gosh, we had to keep filling roles, filling roles, filling roles because people weren't staying. And so that's right. when we really start, started to focus on how can we, okay, yes, we want to keep helping people get in the right jobs and help employers find the right talent. But once they get them, what are they doing to keep them? And so that's why we started really leaning into trying to build out some retention tools and some more career development tools. Um, and we wanted to choose a name that show that we did more than just hiring. Um, yeah. So in November of, of 2022, we rebranded to, to WorkTorch, um, but Quick Hire is still the heart of who we are. Okay. Well, so your WorkTorch, I'm going to explore this name a little bit, but when I think of a torch, I think of something that illuminates. Yes. Is that kind of what you were shooting for? Uh-huh. Like shine yes. a light on... You know, yes. ability. No, that's great. I, I love that. Well done on the sharing of the name. Thank you. Now, one of the things that you said that was super interesting to me, and I think I think that this would have been really helpful when I was in the service industry. You know, I, I feel like there are a lot of transferable skills that play well in the service space, you know, customer service orientation, friendliness, attention mm-hmm. to detail. And the fact is, like, somebody who possesses these characteristics could probably do well in many different different verticals, yes. you know, but you are trying to help folks find which will work, which will position would work best for them, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, so you're talk- absolutely right. Okay, good. I'm glad. Yes, <laughs> you're picking up on it. Yes, it, it's you're absolutely right because you know it's interesting. It, it, it's kind of my story. So I have a background of I did a lot of customer service roles, you know, through throughout um, high school, and I loved it. I did a lot of retail, and I, I really, really loved it. Um, but you know, I, I kind of went down that path of like, well, I have to go to college because if I want to be successful, blah, 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 like we talked about earlier. Um, and so then I didn't know what to do. And I was like, well, I kind of like computers. So maybe I'll go into computer science. I had no idea what, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, how old were you at this point? Were you like, like, honestly, at that age, who the hell knows what we want to be when we grow up? Yeah, a hundred (laughs) percent. And I'm like, computer science. Okay. So I liked putting together PowerPoints. That has nothing to do with being a computer science major. So I, anyway, so I picked (laughs) that major and then I was sitting there. I was, it was in one of my 
algebra classes and I was, or calculus classes and I was really struggling with it. And I just was like, I just don't think this is for me and talking to my friend and she saw something in me. She was like, you know what, Deborah, you know, you have such great communication skills. You can do this, this and that. Have you ever thought about, you know, um, studying, you know, journalism and mass communications? And for me, I didn't even, I didn't even know that I, that could be a major. I, I, yeah. I did it. I didn't even think about that. Um, but had she not planted that seed or saw like the different skills that I had that can lend to a, a particular career, I probably would have just, you know, flunked through, you know, this computer science stab because I had no idea what I was, you know, doing. And do you think you would have been miserable? I would have been absolutely miserable. I am so not a tech, per- like, even though I'm leading yeah. a tech person, a company, I, and yes, I, I love the idea of how technology can help people. But as far as writing code and all of that, um, you know, that is definitely a gifting that I think um, is better suited with other people. Yeah. And so I would have been miserable. And I, so it's, I want our platform to be able to do that, you know, to be able to say, hey, you may not know what you want to do, but you have these skills and these things that you have acquired. You're really good at X, Y, and Z. Have you yeah. ever considered pursuing a career in this? Um, you want your, you know, if you've done, if you've been in the service industry, you've been a server. Did you know that if you keep down this path, you can eventually be, you know, a GM or what have you? And so, just showing people what is possible is really what we're about. Yeah. Well, I, I love that so much. And something else that I love, my friends, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I love full scale. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Now, friends, we are here today with Deborah Gladney, founder, co-founder and CEO, excuse me, of WorkTorch. And we're talking about like right now we're talking about people finding jobs that they are aligned with, you know, and, and I mean, the fact is like turnover, it's a huge problem within many, many industries, many of them service based. And so the work that Deborah is doing through WorkTorch Um, you know, trying to make sure that the right people are within the right jobs and that they have a very clear path to success. Because I think that that's another thing that we kind of lose out on when we're talking about service industry roles. You know, you might take a job as a waitress or a, a waiter or a server of some kind, but then there has to be Future forward motion is what I'm going to call it. You know, what's the next step? Do you become an AGM? Do you become an expediter? Do you become a GM someday? Do you work out of the corporate office? What does that the next 10 years, 20 years look like if you're aligning yourself with an industry? Are you Mm -hmm. finding that you're able to help your users kind of parse through all the noise and kind of figure out a very clear destination? Is that that part of the the puzzle? Yeah. So what's cool is that even though we haven't been around super long, we're seeing that, um, you know, we're able to suggest a particular career path and um, there are different things that they can do to help them get to to the next level. And some of that includes um, uh, taking some trainings or, you know, prep courses, et cetera. Um, And what we're seeing is that one in three of our job seekers take an upskilling action on our platform. And so that tells us that 
you know, people are interested in getting to the next level and they seem to be excited about the opportunity to continue to grow in the industry. Um, it's interesting because, you know, there's this myth that um, everyone sees these as a means to an end or just a job to just uh, pay their car, you know, or get them through college. And that is the case for a lot of people. Absolutely. But there are many people who love being in the service industry, who love being in the industries that they're in. And for them, it's just a matter of trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I, like you said, get that forward motion? And so that is the thing that we have finally been able to take the veil off is what does career progression look like in the service industry? Cause that's something that has never really been discussed before. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think as with any job, there are certain key components that contribute to job satisfaction, right? Mm-hmm. You want to feel as though you're valued. Uh, you want to feel as though your strengths are an integral piece of, of mm-hmm. the, the machine. You want to have managers and bosses and team members who uh, have created a, a respectful environment of psychological safety, like there are all of these things, but one of the big things is knowing that you're working toward a goal, Yeah. right? And so, and, and the fact is like, I think that, you know, and I know, you know, with the hindsight of, or I guess with the power of hindsight, knowing that, you know, you make a plan and then you're going to see your plan blow up like five times a day, probably. <laughs> right. Like as long as you have a, a target or some goalposts to move toward, you you feel a lot more grounded in the work that you do day to day, right? Mm-hmm. So even just mm-hmm. having that plan, understanding that it's gonna it's probably gonna change, <laughs> mm-hmm. but having that plan can create a real sense of security, right? Yep. Yep. Is that the feedback that you've been getting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and and we're. We know that too, because, you know, our our data is showing it. So the average service industry worker stays about 56 days um, at their job. The average, yeah, 56 days on is the average length of time. I'm trying to, like, like, I mean, I know, like when I was in the service industry, a couple of times we would have folks who would like come in for a couple hours and then just bounce and like, yeah, come back. And I'm like, yeah surely uh-huh. that must be dragging down the average. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's it, definitely. And you, as you know, the no call, no show problem is another beast that happens in the industry as well. But we're seeing on our platform that our candidates are staying um, on average three months or more. So that wow. tells us that people are, are, are now approaching their, um, these jobs differently. Like now that they see that, okay, According to this platform, yes, I am a host today, but if I stay on this path, um, if I work in this job for a certain amount of time, then I could qualify for this position and qualify for this, and this could lead to that. And so it's shifting the way that people are looking at these jobs. And um, yeah, I'm excited about it, and I'm excited to keep building so that we can continue to see how how this can continue to impact people. Well, I, I can't wait to see. I'm, I'm really curious, though. We might have some some listeners out in the great wide world who they're contemplating a career in the service industry or they're already working in the service industry. So what advice would you give to them? You know, what 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 we're speaking to and we're talking about a lot of different associated topics, but what we're speaking to is, is job satisfaction, getting the right people into the right roles in which they will feel fulfilled, 
um, you know, the kind of role that will make them feel as though they have a goal that they can work for. Like there are any number of reasons that WorkTorch could be a really, really valuable thing for service workers. But talk to us a little bit about advice. Like if you are looking to find a fulfilling career path, what does that look like to Deborah Gladney? Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give um, people in regards to that, especially when it comes to the service industry, is to is to really take ownership of your life and of your career. Because what we found is that prior to our platform, it's as if employees in this industry um, were kind of waiting for the employer to act um, or were afraid to advocate for themselves or afraid to say, hey, yes, I'm a line cook, but I would really love to be a restaurant manager at some point. What does that look like for me? And and so that would be, that's why you tend to see the attrition because people weren't fulfilled um, or people saw like, okay, okay, I, I will forever be a line cook and I got to do something else with my life. But that doesn't have to be the case. Right. Um, and so- you know, really taking ownership of your career. And, you know, on our platform, we can show you what that looks like. But at the end of the day, you have to do the work. Right. You have to do the work. You have to show up. You have to advocate for yourself. Um, and the, the people who do that the best are the ones that succeed the most. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I firmly believe that. And I love that you have created a tool and a platform to help people kind of work through it. See, I wish, like, I look back at when I was like in my early 20s in the service industry, and I really wish that I had had work torch around. <laughs> I feel like I probably would have progressed in my career so much more quickly had yeah. I had, I mean, my life would look very different at this point, I'm sure. But, you know, being able to early on put some thoughtfulness around right. around my role and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to grow, be when I grew up, you know, right. that, it would have been hugely helpful to me. Yeah. Now, Deborah, I'm going to, I'm going to build you up a little bit because okay. you have done, you've done something. I'm going to switch role or switch conversational tactics right now. Um, you've done something really, really difficult. And friends, I, I'm going to put some context around this situation before I ask Deborah about it. But the fact is, uh, there is a ridiculous statistic out there. Uh, women as uh, startup founders average, I think about 2.2% of, of gain in venture capital funding. 2.2% uh, of all of the venture capital funds that are dispersed out there go to female founders. And when you look at female founders of color, that number gets even more and more sad. So sad. Uh, and I cannot, I, I'm going to be really honest with y'all. I can't remember how many zeros it is, if it's two zeros or three zeros, but something like 0.006% of venture capital funds go to women of color. And hey, Deborah, you have gotten yourself some venture capital funds as a woman of color. And I would love to explore that with you. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I got to tell you that I just appreciate you um, bringing up this topic and shedding light on it, because I think that the more that we talk about it, I think the more that we'll continue to see change, because a lot of times people don't really realize how how um, unfair it is, or even when you hear the statistics, it does sound alarming. And so we're, yeah. we're starting to see that more people want to be a part of the solution, which is great. 
Um, but yes, my experience raising um, venture dollars, you know, it was it was definitely a journey. Um, what I found out quickly is that it's very much a connection relationship based industry, and my sister and I we had no relations or connection to the industry, and yeah. so that was our first thing. You know, I we reached out in the beginning to over a hundred investors, and all of them were no's or they just didn't respond. Um, and so we found out very quickly that it wasn't going to be as easy as some people made it sound like, you know, I would listen to certain stories and founder stories and they made it sound like it was so easy, <laughs> but that wasn't, I, I quickly realized that wasn't going to be our story. Um, yeah. And so what we did is that we just focused on what we could control. Um, unfortunately we had to pull money from our 401ks because we didn't have a lot. Um, and oh, I just want to hug you because I swear I, we just did that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love you. I just want to stroke your hair and give you a hug. <laughs> Every time like, you have to do that, you're like, well, looks like I'm not retiring until I'm 80 now. Exactly, exactly right. It's like, oh my gosh, like we were just like, okay, the goal is to be able to build this thing to where we can make way more than what's yeah. in our 401ks. But yeah, yeah. It was, it I mean, it's tough. the ultimate leap of faith. You're leveraging. Yes tomorrow for what you believe you can build today and that's a yes. beautiful thing it's a powerful thing yes. it is also a very soul-sucking thing oh 100 <laughs> it was it was difficult but I mean it was either we do that or we just not let the let the idea die and so we did that to get the thing off the ground and we we didn't have we didn't put in much um, but just enough to get a beta out there and it was ugly but we we're like, okay, if we can get something out there and start getting traction, then maybe, you know, yeah. so we did that. We started getting some traction. Still, nobody was interested in us. We were like, gosh, like we have more progress than a lot of people who are getting funded. I don't, I don't understand it. It was so frustrating. Um, so we just, we just kept building and, you know, my background in journalism came in handy because I was like, as we build, I want us to tell our story. And yeah. so as we did that, we, we were telling our story and that's candidly how we got our first investor. They read one of our articles and reached out to us and that kind of started kickstarting the process for us. And so, you know, once you start getting some, some outside investors in, it definitely doesn't get easy, but it definitely gets a it's little never bit. It's never going to be easy. Getting never. people with their money, like I don't, oh, it's never going to be easy. It's still going to be brutal. <laughs> But yeah. it, it definitely is a like maybe a centimeter easier because at least now we can say that so-and-so has invested in us and so-and-so that person comes with connections who can connect us to somebody else. Um, yeah. So that was kind of how we started going. Well, and, and, and from what, so from what I have found in, in being in this space, you know, it, in a lot of cases, action begets action in the venture yeah. capital space. Like once one per what if you can get one person to invest or one VC fund to invest, then all of a sudden you have legitimacy and credibility yes. that you didn't have before and people become much more interested. And yes. they, they don't want to miss out. Like you're channeling FOMO, I think, a little bit. Exactly. Like, oh well, yep. I don't want that VC funds to get the huge payout like yep. without yep. me. Um and so, so I hope that that happened for you, but just, just really quickly for our, our VCs out there and investors and, and even our entrepreneurs, like, just please know 
um, the diverse founders, the, the system is stacked against mm-hmm. diverse founders. And I'm talking women and I'm talking about BIPOC individuals. I'm talking about, you know, those of marginalized gender. The fact is there are a lot of factors at play, you know, things like unconscious bias, things mm-hmm. like a, a lack of understanding around uh, products. You know, I, I cannot tell you how many VCs I've heard say, well, we don't really understand what this is for. And it's like, well, it's probably because you're, you're not the target audience. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, we, we have situations where I, I would imagine as in your case, you, and, and I say this frequently, you know, as a woman, I have to work three times harder, but a woman of color has to work 20 times harder. Mm-hmm. So you had to do things that, the next, you know, cishet white dude next to you probably didn't have to do to get yep. to get that funding. And that's really frustrating. And so I just want to I want to shine a light on it. And I want to add like we have got to fix this system. And, I, and I'm going to give a really quick example and then we're going to continue on, Deborah. But one of the things that a lot of venture capitalists do is they ask about the friends and family round. Like we're not oh. going to invest unless you've done the friends and family round. And it's like, well. If you come from socioeconomically depressed exactly. areas and the people oh around God, you, yeah. your family and friends don't have any money, no, yeah. you didn't yeah. raise friends and family around because exactly. you wouldn't have gotten anything. Oh I'm so glad you brought that up. Honestly, that is probably one of the biggest Stop things it. that drives my sister and I crazy because yeah. we got that so much. In the beginning, we were just trying to raise like 200K, um, but they were like, um, you need to go find friends and family, friends and family. I'm like, what friends and family do you have? I don't know. Money. What? <laughs> My friends and family do not have, okay, most of them probably don't even have a comma in their bank account. So yeah. I don't know. Well, it's, it's just one of those things where like there, there is an assumption and this is when we yeah. talk about like white supremacy culture and we talk about the fact that, you know, we, we have a diversity issue within right. startups and venture capitalism, you know, it's a problem. Stop it, it is, it <laughs> is a problem, but I got to just really quickly before you move on to say, I am so grateful because we have been able to partner with some amazing investors yeah. who are really trying to change this. And yeah. I and I really do think that it's also really important that the few that are out there doing the work, that they get supported as well. Because there are very few um, venture capitalists who are really doing the right thing. Um, yeah. And even their, their dollars are, are limited as well. So yeah. that's important. Well, remind me when we get offline, I'm going to, I want to connect you to Aperture Venture Capital. They're one of my, my favorites. Um, and I'm mm. sure that they would, would love to hear about you, but I, I'm not going to do it because I know that VCs can be a little bit cagey, but is there anybody you'd specifically like to call out? If not, that's okay. I'm just curious. <laughs> I know There's so many people. Oh my gosh. Honestly, everybody on my cap, cap table. Um, I, I mean, just starting with Kansas City, the Casey Rice folks um, are so amazing there's there's great um funds focused on minority founders like 68 capital as well um i have great um folks in wichita where we're based who are supporting us um ten, you know josh oding trish brandstad um you know there's just so many people who are out there doing really great work rufus for good yeah um, i could go oh of course rise of the rest 
they are amazing. Rise of the rest. Yes, rise of the rest. They are really out there doing the work, and they. I just really, I really respect what they do for underserved founders, um, for sure. Um, but yes, the list can go on and on as far as people who are out there doing amazing work. Also, Graham and Walker for women, they're amazing. Also, yeah. Well, well, thank you. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you definitely want to recognize the folks yeah. who are doing the work who are in it. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. Now, talk to us. Talk to us about the future of work torch like what and, and that can be for you as is one of the founders like what does what does the future look like for you mm, such that's a, a good question. question it is it is and you know what as much as i get asked it i never have an answer but <laughs> another one of those situations where it's like how do you make god laugh you make a plan but yeah exactly exactly um you know well the future for us is we want to just continue to um, amplify and, and, um, we want to help more people really. Um, and so we have a lot more work to do as far as, um, you know, our reach and continuing to expand. We are building out new parts of our product, especially for employers. So we're really, um, building out additional, um, retention and engagement and, um, career development tools for them. And so we're excited about that because that should be out, um, uh, late April, early May. Um, and so that that's a really big part. Um, and then, you know, really, like I said, really kind of continuing to expand. Um, you know, we want to continue to expand more in Kansas City and in the Midwest um, and, you know, just within the service industry as a whole. Yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you, Deborah, I cannot wait to see all of that come to fruition. Thank you. Um, you know, you're, you're definitely doing really, really incredible things. And, and now I have a human question for you. Are you ready? Okay. I think so. Uh, and I like, honestly, I've been kind of looking around the office trying to find, cause like, I don't often know what the question is before. I <laughs> I'm like, hmm, what can we ask about? Uh, and I'm going to ask you, you know, I'm feeling in a travel mood today and I don't think I've asked this one for a while, but, uh, if you could travel anywhere in the world right now, money is no object. You can do anything you want. Where would you go? And what would you do? Ooh, now. I would probably, so my parents are from Uganda. Okay. I went for the first time only a few years ago um, and it was before and then COVID hit and then, you know, we kind of stopped travel and all that. So if I could go anywhere, I would go back to Uganda and I would see all of my family again and I would want to um, look at potentially how can we build a home in Uganda for, for our family. That That's Aww. what I would want to do. Well, that would be absolutely lovely. It would. (laughs) Answer. I really. I think one of the things that I, you and I don't know each other well, but I think one of the things that I like about you most thus far is how rooted in your family values you are. Like Mm. that, it just comes through all over the place. (laughs) Mm, I love that. Well, thank you. Yes, my family is so important to me, and so I'm glad that that comes through. Well, and I mean, honestly, clear, clearly they're an amazing family because they produced an amazing you. Oh, thank you. So, so another amazing thing 
my friends. I, I don't know if you've heard, but full scale is pretty amazing. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Let full scale help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Full Scale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And friends, I'm going to point you, I know that I've been pushing this the past few episodes I've recorded, but I'm going to do it again because I think it's really important. But I'm going to invite you to listen, give a listen to Founder Fridays with Frank Keck. We recently had on a guest host by the name of Frank Keck. He's known in the Kansas City area for being a, a culture leader. Uh, helping businesses and helping individuals ask the really pertinent questions to help them create a strong and vibrant culture, whatever you want that culture to be. Um, his, his intentionality is pretty impressive and he got to interview, he got to, uh, but he interviewed the, the Startup Hustle hosts, myself included, Andrew Morgans, uh, Matt Watson, Matt DeCourcy. And we talked about culture and how we build culture within our organizations. And he just, he asks really great questions. So I would highly recommend that you give a listen to Founder Fridays with Frank. Um, if, if you, if you do that, you're going to get a lot of really amazing insight. Of course, friends, we are very, very grateful that you come and listen to us week after week. We invite you to keep doing so, and we will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.